Have you ever thought about re-evaluating this whole concept? Essentially sacking it off and... In favour of? In favour of starting up an NPR-friendly TED Radio Hour. Hi, I'm Guy Raz. And, and having a <clears throat> very inoffensive, subtle string plucking behind you as you speak and say like... This week we're talking to Fenris uh, about <laughs> Facebook maintenance. I was actually thinking about going the full opposite way and going full Alex Jones info wars. Really? Yeah, just s- stripping my shirt off and screaming about... You're nearly there. Yeah. You're nearly there. I am already. half naked at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah. Well... But, yeah, but I haven't got work to go to, so I'm just going to be lounging for the rest of the day. Yeah. We're starting early what, though, aren't what, we? So. Yeah, we're, we're early again. Which yeah. means I don't have my uh, little selection of uh, craft ales <laughs> next to me. I have a glass of water and a very sad face. Yeah, but for the keen listener, they'll be able to hear the um, the dark arts that we have brewing. Can they? In the back. Can yeah. they hear it now? Can you hear it now? No. Can you hear it now? It's the bird singing because they know it's on its way. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm going to ask. Okay. I'm going to ask. You know what I'm going to ask? What? Can I have it? I'm going to ask it. What is it? Um, did, did you? Did I want? Did you fulfill your democratic obligation this week? Uh, no, I did not. I fucking knew you didn't. <laughs> I knew it. You suck. Jaded anarchist idiot. subject to me. It's probably a good thing anyway, because I can imagine you going to the polling station, which is literally down my road, which is essentially, <laughs> that essentially means it's down your road. Mm. So I'm fucking Ben Affleck, you're Matt Damon. <laughs> and it's not even far away. One of them's come off a lot better than the other one. Yeah. So I'm not- <laughs> um, you would have, you would have got to the polling station, got, uh, been given the sheet, had the, uh, the selection of candidates in front of you. He just would have drawn a box. I don't know what to do. <laughs> just, uh, I voted for King Matt. Is that all right? <laughs> so you didn't vote? No, I didn't vote. Oh. I know youth, I should. You're the youth vote. I'm not, though. I'm, I'm nearly 31. <laughs> that's that's more is, important. Think yeah, about your You, about you your should spawn. be happy because I've kind of hit that age where I'm slowly, slowly getting more right wing. So if oh, anything, you should be happy. Say that. You should be happy I didn't. Yeah, but that, that means that... I wish I could say that you're the yin to my yang, but I don't think uh, leftist socialists believe that about uh, <laughs> right light people, do they? They're not like, no. oh, you are the yin to my yang, though, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I was going to say I don't blame you, but um, I do. Cause yeah, you're... it's all right. I'm leaving the country soon anyway, so screw them. Yeah, well, if you're, if you're permitted, after all the borders uh, come up and there's a wall... Like with with centennial. Sorry, I know Dover like the back of my hand. I'll just jump <coughs> over some fences. Really, it's like the Great Escape. So you're but, Steve McQueen riding on, riding on a bike through Dover. <laughs> then you get caught and killed. So who said, oh, no, re- you get, who said remakes are terrible? They didn't do a remake. Did they do a remake of? No, um, this will be my remake. Oh right, this will be. Your I remake. just need you filming it. Just running behind. <laughs> Steady cam. Okay. Shaking well, hands. I guess I've just exposed you, uh, which is enough. I've done my. I've done my bit. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back, everyone, 
to the Eggs and Ferris podcast, a podcast all about heavy metal. My name is Matthew and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Tom Watson. Yeah, yeah, that is me, isn't it? Yeah. How have you been, Matt? I've been pretty good. Um, I've not been up to much. Uh, it's been a pretty DOS week. Because we managed to um, we managed to get all of these, or at least the last two episodes, edited quite quickly. Yeah, which is nice. Which actually gives me a bit of time, which I don't normally have due to this podcast. Because if I'm not editing, yeah. then I'm doing the podcast. Yeah. If I'm not doing the podcast, then I'm doing quote unquote research for it, the podcast. Is this this has become us? Is this a, some sort of resentful dig? At me? No, because <laughs> like, because you have the technology to do it, and I, I don't. So yeah, I'm the million dollar man. We don't share that part of it, so you basically have fifty percent more work to do than yeah. I do. It's, it's and I've already been complaining. It's about actually how much not a huge amount of work. The first one was a huge amount of work because we <laughs> didn't know what the fuck we were doing, so we ended up talking for about two and a half hours. Yeah, we thought we which, were being really professional by going edit. Yeah, which I which I managed to get down to like an hour and forty five minutes. Now we're now we're pretty concise. Mm, I think we're still we're, we're still chipping away at it, aren't we? Yeah, I would love well, it to get to about five minutes. We're going to be very concise on this one. So. <laughs> yeah, but in a in a somber yet light hearted way, a bit like an NPR friendly. <laughs> this is our audition. we did it. This is our audition, by the way. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom. This is Matt. Today we're going to be talking about. Oh, I'm not going to say it yet. That would be giving it away, wouldn't it? Absolutely. All right, that's um, already not like NPR. <laughs> so, uh, should we dive into the news? What's yeah, let's, been do, some, uh, the let's do some. Let's do some hard hitting journalistic copy and paste action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do actually reword everything that I just so people don't like run it through a even Google quotes, engine. even yeah. even original sources. <laughs> Just like to snap it up Just a little bit. paraphrased yeah. everything. Did you want to go first? I think you've got a bit more news than I do. Yeah, well, I've uh, something very, very recent. Uh, I believe uh, yesterday uh, this news broke about um, someone that you bloody love. Um, our very, very close ally, Carl Logan. Okay. I thought uh, you were about to say, I knew what you were going to do, but I thought you changed it at the last minute, and I was just eyeing my notes going, fuck, is he just Oh, what, did you think I actually meant someone that was a close ally of ours? No, because this person definitely is not. R- rather but than I a think this came scumbag. Out, yeah, but I think this came out yesterday, so I just shat myself <laughs> thinking that you just covered it. No, and if we did, great. We can just great. talk about well, it together. Yeah, great minds think alike. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we can use the same, the same <laughs> yeah. sources. Yeah. Do you have um, anything to add? No, not really. No, because <laughs> we spoke to the same people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as a bit of a disclaimer, um, reports emerged last year that Manowar guitarist Carl Logan had been arrested uh, around August time, I think. Um, and the counts reference offences that took place between uh, June and August of 2018. Um, so essentially, the case has evolved and it looks like Logan will be facing federal child pornography charges. Mm-hmm. Um, he's charged with six counts of sexual exploitations uh, of a minor uh, for allegedly having uh, six uh, videos showing a child as young as four years old 
engaged in sexual acts, it is, it is just mental. horrific. <laughs> and uh, I found the um, sort of extensive, detailed... That's oh, the dark yeah. arts, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I found the sort of detailed quote from the lawyer. Mm. Uh, it's sort of going into what the videos consisted Did you read of. it? I read it. And I thought, Can we I'm not, not going to read that. It, no. no, I was like, I am not going to read that. That is just harrowing. It's harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is harrowing. Um, so Logan's lawyer, Brad Smith, uh, told uh, WSOC TV, uh, Logan has been, I don't fucking understand this. He has been extremely cooperative mm. uh, with the investigation from the beginning and he'll continue to do that. So uh, Smith seemed to insinuate that there would be an explanation for the charges. He's going to explain himself. <laughs> He's going to just... Let me justify why I have these six videos in a particular folder, uh, which is password encrypted. Kind of <laughs> um, I thought that that was why he was co uh, cooperative. He just didn't bother password encrypting. He gave them the password. <laughs> he gave him the password. It's just guest one. Kid of war. <laughs> Um, so oh, the the pornography, <laughs> yeah, not jokes. Um, so the lawyer continued and said, "You oftentimes do see with those that do end up pleading, there's a direct correlation to something that happened in their childhood." Uh, Smith said, "Logan is out of jail on bond uh, and will make his first court appearance next week, uh, probably Tuesday time. Okay. So probably going to try and stay up to date with this one just to see how it evolves." Um, I pray that they don't take some kind of sympathy vote against this monster. Mm. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's about it with the the Logan case so far. Uh, there's nothing really to to joke about either. I mean, I think you'd be e equal mirroring the monster uh, if you were to make any sort of... Oh, you want to make a joke? <laughs> I don't want to make <laughs> yeah, a joke. Yeah, I can joke. see it by your face. But I do have a story about child pornography. In you which, as well? In which I am the hero. Little, uh. little did I know, as that literary term goes. So when I was... I must have been between the ages of 8 and 10, I got incredibly interested in setting things on fire. Um, so me and my friend at the time went down to our primary school and we ended up setting a bin on fire on yeah. school property. And the other side of the playing field, we saw someone like running at us. And we were like, what the fuck is this? So we just ran the other end of the uh, school. But I was definitely overweight at that point and could not <laughs> run very fast. So this guy caught up with us very quickly. And... Um, he was just like, what do you think you're doing? And we're like, we didn't actually start the fire. <laughs> like, the, like, as the song goes. Yeah. Um, we didn't start the fire. Imagine they did that in Slaughterhouse 5. Well. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but our explanation of it was, is, uh, yeah, we were just watching it because this other guy set it on fire. And this guy who is who was known as like a notoriously bad egg at our school. Yeah. We were just like, yeah, he did it. He got in trouble for it, and I would feel bad because he had absolutely nothing to do with it. However, fast forward 10 to... No, it must be longer than that. It's fast forward 15 years later, mm. he got done right. for 
over 6,000 child pornography images. Jesus. So if anything, you're welcome, world. I am yeah. <laughs> I'm out there battling child pornography. Avengers I assemble. just didn't even know it. Yeah. So there you go. You really are the SJW. Um, I am. Yeah. Why the... F- why did you set up in a light? You know they do that in Scotland. Um, what, to keep warm? No. <laughs> got central No, they do it because um, apparently the chemicals or the materials used for like plastic bins themselves, mm. uh, if you set them alight and it's a particular brand or type of bin, it can get you at, out of your head high. The fuse. Fucking Scotland, man. <laughs> yeah. I used to work for it's a company. Fucking bargain. I used to work for a company that used to give away um, free Jamesons with their memberships. Really? Yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> banks that give away guns in and America. That, and that offer was genuinely not extended to Scotland because <laughs> everyone was getting fucked up. <laughs> fucking um, Scottish, man. I love the Scottish. So what was your... Uh, I'm assuming that wasn't your news... No, so my news is that uh, Ozzy Osbourne has said that Bill Ward, original and uh, most would consider the only drummer for Black Sabbath, uh, should have been part of Black Sabbath's final tour. Uh, So I believe it was, was it last year or two years ago that their final tour went on? Oh, God, I think it was two years ago. Yeah, so Ward has claimed that he sat out the recording and touring sessions due to contractual terms, uh, though other members would have indicated that Ward was just not physically capable of performing. Mm. Uh, Ozzy told Kerrang recently that he didn't like the fact that Bill Ward wasn't there for a start. Uh, people put that down to me, uh, but it wasn't me, honest- honestly. Uh, we, <laughs> Sabbath, uh, didn't have the fucking time to hang around. We had to get going. Uh, but I'm sorry it didn't work out with Bill. Uh, to- uh, Tommy, uh, who was the drummer who sat in for the farewell tour, yeah. uh, did great. But the four of us started this and it should have been the four of us ending it. Those final gigs in Birmingham were bittersweet because you would think of how far we came, how much we did. And it would have been good to share that together. Maybe one day there might be one last gig. I don't know. So, it, so their so. final tour... It is, isn't, isn't their final, so final everyone's, tour. Everyone's going to the O2 for a refund on that one. Yeah. Uh, so Ozzy went on to allude that he that this wasn't the only kind of turbulent part of that tour, but he alluded to the fact that there were further disagreements with other members of the band, um, one of them being uh, with Tony Iommi, of course. Um, the guitarist. Obviously, it's the classic singer versus guitarist yeah. altercation. Uh, in, in Rolling Stone, um, he mentioned... Uh, I'm not allowed to have any fucking fun with Sabbath. It's too serious. Tony was trying to have a go at me saying, don't fucking talk over my solos. I go, (laughs) okay, are you sure? Because most of the fucking song is solos. The intro <laughs> the, the intro to the song is fucking five minutes. And then I sing about two seconds and then there's another one. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, on stage banter, you've got to be you've got to be you've pretty got to keep on it, it going, haven't, though, you? haven't you? Yeah. yeah, there's nothing more awkward than not engaging with the crowd or yeah. looking looking like you're you're essentially sorry to be there. Yeah, so. it's stand up along with music. You yeah. know what I mean? With a, with a backing. <laughs> so I think as far as Ozzy Osbourne's well-being is, and it's uh, regularly reported in the news at the moment, mm. um, I don't think he's razzing everyone whilst <laughs> whilst Iommi's picking up his finger. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, and also on the on the 
on the drumming aspect of it, I do think it is a shame that he wasn't involved mm. uh, with the end tour. Yeah. Um, but, but at that point, it's not it's not just a band. It's yeah. a financial investment from a, everyone involved and they it's have a, to get it going. And Yeah. Yeah. It's a product, isn't and it? And it's, I mean, we talked about the fact that it's a real shame when you have to use, like, legal terms in relation to, to Music, being in a band. Like, being creative, yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, this is not metal-specific, but okay. it's certainly friggin' metal. Okay. Yeah. Um, so scientists have just created an underwater sound so loud that it instantly boils water and could even rupture your heart and lungs if heard outside of an aquatic surrounding. Fucking hell. It's fucking... Why? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> to what end? Yeah, to, to, as a gift to the Russians. <laughs> um, in other words, it's the most brutal sound ever created. Okay, is that um, your words or their words? No, that is the words of, uh, I believe, Loudwire. Okay. Hooray, it's metal <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a team of researchers, which included members from the Department of Energy's uh, SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory, nerd alert, um, <laughs> directed small blasts of water at powerful x-rays that instantly vaporised the surrounding water, uh, resulting in a shockwave a train of shockwaves followed, and once the threshold for how intense underwater sound can get was crossed, uh, the water then formed small bubbles, which quickly decayed. Um, so this indicates that scientists have reached the potential limit <laughs> for how loud sound can be when observed in a liquid water state. Just them really? sitting around a fucking table going... What can we do now? <laughs> um, it's like the, um, you know, an Alien 3 when they've got all the weird Ripley's. <laughs> yeah. Kill me. They're like, that's, what can we do next? That's not three. That's is not three. That, is that four? No, that's, no, that's, that's resurrection. resurrection. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Get it right, man. Fuck, you know. Does um, anyone care about the... Uh... Yeah, I was actually having this debate the other day. Uh, it's, I don't think it's a contentious one, but if I was going to go... Did you like work, Prometheus? Well, if I was going to go from worst... To best, best, it would be Prometheus, mm. Alien Covenant. Covenant. Uh, I, I don't know. Love... I'd say Alien Covenant is worse than Prometheus. Po- I only watched it once. I think I watched Prometheus twice. Okay, uh, but my memory of it is Prometheus was equally bad, if not yeah. worse. It was just written by Damon Lindelof, and he doesn't know how to make. He he writes like he writes Lost. Yeah, like. Actually, yeah. we started rewatching Lost. Yeah, um, we were going to do that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, re- uh, then between Resurrection and 3, uh, I really am a huge fan of Resurrection. Okay. Um, and I really think 3 gets like a hard, hard time mm. like in terms of its reputation. It's fucking brilliant. It was put through the fucking ringer in terms of its production. Yeah, and like the criticism that it received ever since it, it's I think it's aged really well I think the sort of dystopian prison that the the setting and with everything to do with, with the like the set dog design the, the dog aspect the fact that the, a, the alien is an animal yeah. apparently it wasn't uh, a dog in an, in one of the edits it was a fucking cow or something <laughs> <Really>? um <laughs> then aliens an alien I don't think okay. that's Contested is that is that a some people consider aliens better than alien, but I don't even really like aliens that much. I don't think it's that great of a film. Yeah, I think it's just fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's just James Cameron doing James Cameron. 
the core thesis of that film was pretty much detailed in full in the original film. So I feel like there's no real, what there's nowhere to go from here. Yeah. Like, but, but, but they the end, are. But they are. <laughs> they insist in, well, now it's a Disney property. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll so, so the Xenomorph's going to be a mouse next. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'd love that. Right. Uh, News. Uh, I only had one bit. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so before we start on this week's topic, uh, we thought we should play this. Yeah. 
Okay, so that was the first single from the new Cave-In record. Uh, the album's called Final Transmission, and the song was called All Illusion. Uh, so this week we're going to be covering a rather sad topic, though I hope that we're not going to make it entirely morose, because I think that it should be a celebration of someone's yeah, life's work. 100%. Uh, so we're going to be covering a musician who had a rather large impact, much larger than, at least during his lifetime when I was interacting with his work, I realised yeah. he had such a big influence. Uh, and that person is Caleb Schofield, who was the uh, singer and bassist for Cave-In, to name but one band. Um, he had uh, many projects throughout the year. Uh, but as Cave-In are releasing a new album, um, which is the last album to have Caleb appear on, we thought it would be worth taking some time to kind of look at the man and see what he did. The man behind his, the tone. Yeah, with his, yeah. With his uh, sadly short time on this world. Yeah. It, like we said, it is... It is a sobering and somber uh, affair. Uh, he has had such an impact on the music that we listen to and the the influences that have sort of stemmed out of Caleb's mind and sort of infected other people. I mean that in a positive way as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so, but I think that's the part we need to focus on, the house celebratory. Uh, his life should be um and kind of interestingly when when i was looking into his yeah it's really nice isn't it so we're, we're drinking dark arts <laughs> coffee again and the, the, the i brew, thought i fucked it up no um, you use more and that's why they taste yeah but it better. has a uh has a quite a kick to it it's, yeah it's gorgeous it's mm. oh sorry sorry we're so just... good <laughs> um so yeah while i was looking into his life uh, and we were just discussing it beforehand. He he was quite a solitary guy. And his whole music career and his trajectory, it's essentially... It, it, he was always working towards it, but he sort of fell into a lot of mm. things. And then it sort of grew organically. And then his confidence, I think, grew out of that as well. And his taste for music, he always refers to as being inherently because of being in Cavium. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, he was born October 6th, uh, 1978, uh, in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, but he was raised in Pembroke. Um, he, I guess he started, apparently he, he used to refer to uh, growing up sort of in the New Hampshire area and his he gained that interest in heavy metal through seeing punk bands like In Line and The Rat. Uh, and as soon as he was able to drive, he took a trip to Boston. And we know how incestuous that uh, hardcore scene is in Boston um, mm. to see those bigger acts like Sheer Terror and Sick of It All. Yeah. Um, and that was at the um, that was at the Rat, wasn't it? The, yeah. the venue, The Rat, um, which I think is called the, I think it's the full name is The Rascala. It's R A T H S K E double L A R, mm. which, as far as I can tell, is was this kind of notoriously small, shitty venue uh, located on Kenmore Square that kind of became notorious for these out of hand shows. And at the time, it was considered like the granddaddy of 
Boston rock venues. Yeah. Um, like everyone has played there. And it, I was having a look through the list of the bands that played there. Um, he makes special mention of seeing Sheer Terror there at one point. But you can see the bands such as like Megadeth have played there as well. Yeah. Um, and it even, nice bit of trivia, it even featured in a Mighty Mighty Boss Tones uh, song. I love that band. Called uh, I Want My City Back, in which they mention, which they have special mention of, of the rat in there. Right. Uh, he actually said, um, I had a lot of people from my youth who helped shape my taste in music pretty early on. Uh, I think by the time I was able to start going to shows, I'd already been uh, sold on the metal and punk thing. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, so there wasn't much at our fingertips. Uh, these guys I would skate with. Uh, had a band called Inline that would play locally and we would all go out. I remember travelling into Boston when we uh, got old enough to drive and going to hardcore shows. We'd go to The Rat and see bands like Sheer Terror and Sick of All and just be completely fucking terrified. And <laughs> that that end there made me think, obviously, we are not Boston-based no. and we would have been a little bit too young for the first wave of second generation hardcore acts you say even like veering on first that bridge between the two yeah um and i've seen some footage especially of sick of it all shows like from the early to mid 90s and they look disgusting <laughs> they look so friggin' scary it's yeah. literally like a lot of the time like for people within the boston hardcore scene you had you had dudes that basically went to get freaking swole mm. at the gym, literally to just decapitate people <laughs> at shows. Uh, yeah. It's not like that anymore, really. No. Oh, and I did get slightly nostalgic whilst doing the research for this because anything to do, I mean, I'd, I'd probably say I can't speak for yourself, but in my formative years, it was punk and hardcore, even though this was a metal podcast. I'd probably say punk and hardcore was the most informative on me as a person. Yeah. Because there is just such a community base behind it. I mean, you're a man of many, many music tastes. Like, Thank you. Is, yeah. Thanks. You, you're very literate in all kind of those regards. Um, but but it, was, probably... it was, again, punk and hardcore. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I know that speaking from your friends that you went to school, you, you actually, in fact, showed them a lot of the bands that they now listen to. Um and just thinking about like going to these small shows, um, it kind of reminded me of of when I was like a teenager and I would end up traveling to, well, I now live in London, but I didn't originally like going to London and checking out these crazy bands. And it was quite an intimidating thing at the time because yeah. there are two who are much bigger than you at these shows. Yeah. But I mean that, and he, he Caleb kind of goes on to mention that skateboarding had a huge impact because... They were talking in one interview that I listened to. He's talking about like the difference between the culture behind skateboarding and the culture behind inlining, um, and it just being completely different. And skateboarding for him almost kind of moved him direct. He sees it as a direct link to getting into the punk and hardcore mm. scene, not just because one has an interest in the other's music, but just the actual culture behind it and that kind of camaraderie that, yeah. that comes with it. If you if you were gonna uh, relate it to metal, mm. um, and in my I've always had the opinion that um, the first wave of punk acts and 
sort of late 70s old school punk is what it's called now mm. was not as punk as what essentially punk inevitably evolved into um but if you were going to equate it to the metal scene uh it's a bit like tape distribution uh of acts like when possessed were sharing tapes that they'd recorded mm. from other bands you didn't know who the bands were and uh that whole camaraderie there it, i think it it kind of segues very nicely into the evolution of punk music and how we started to distribute yeah um because i acts. used to share like cdrs with friends of mine and get like yeah um like records by orchid not the Stoner Doom band Orchid, but the Screamo hardcore yeah. band Orchid. Um, and I think I still have those CDs somewhere, but we kind of grew up like Too just fast. as, yeah, <laughs> just as that kind of Napster and LimeWire thing was coming in. So yeah. it was, it almost, whilst it, whilst it was far more globalized and widespread, it also became slightly more insular on a personal level because you didn't end up communicating with the people that you were exchanging records yeah. with. You just clicked on something and it, and it downloaded. Um, uh, you also, you missed out uh, Winrar and uh, <laughs> Kazar. I still, I, I don't think I ever used Kazar. You definitely use Winrar. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Winrar was amazing. And I was speaking to someone the other day about Winrar and they were like, yeah, man, I used to use that all the time. I downloaded so much porn. <laughs> just like, oh, right. I really, really. I just remember that. downloading like music videos and yeah. you're like, yeah, I think I can tell what that pixel is. <laughs> Why are they going up and down so yeah, fast? That pixel's got some sick riffs. <laughs> um, but Caleb was also in a hardcore band himself mm. called Strike Three, which I have struggled to find any if there is any recording at all it's probably some three. demo out there or something i don't I think or a live recording like, or something because yeah. i couldn't find a single thing yeah. on strike three i think they um they were a very fleeting mm. band anyway i don't think they were particularly active but that got caleb's foot in the door for his future projects so that was around like nine i think it was about 1995 1986 when strike three were active i think that was when they started so i know that he he kind of fell in with cave in like quite soon after the demise of strike three and he joined cave in in 1998 yeah so i think that strike three must have been around between 95 to 98 yeah um but the the reason that that happened is that they actually went on tour with cave in i know it was cave in's second tour um and it was an east coast based tour mm. and, and strike three was supporting and would you agree that it's sort of that um the inception of cave in themselves, they mm. were still very much trying to find their feet. Um, they hadn't even released a record proper. No. Um, and they had a lot of lineup changes between like in the early I years. I think they went through in, in like the major lineup shift just before Schofield joined. I think they went through like two vocalists and a bassist or something in the space of a very, very short amount of time and that of course is always going to have it, an impact on what the band sounds like musically if, yeah. if if the writing duties are shared by everyone um but yeah so he joined just 
before until your heart stops, I believe. Which yeah, is 90, I think it was like basically when they were going to record it. Yeah, he joined, and I think it's the first time that they actually ended up recording as a as a album altogether. Like, yeah, they recorded as as a full band. I think before that they were kind of going in one at a time, not really being able to sit there and kind of ponder the, yeah. the record as a whole. And I think from that, what we can take is that Caleb's involvement, whilst it is integral, mm. especially, and you don't want to just put Caleb at the forefront of Caving and say he was the leader because he very much wasn't. And I think especially for those earlier records like Jupiter and like Until Your Heart Stops, he was very much, he was by no means a session guitarist or mm. bassist, but his involvement creatively didn't really come to fruition until later in his career, like the mid 2000s and onwards when yeah. he starts to sort of dabble in his own projects. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about his early involvement with Cave-In and he, he certainly had a tone, um, but he, he had a fucking voice on it. Yeah. He had a, he had a serious voice in him, but it wasn't really him that took uh, vocal control no, uh, I know that he took. I know that he took over vocals quite a lot live, um, as uh, S- Stephen Brodsky. He, I mean, I think this is this is the same thing with a lot of bands. Is they get to that point where they're doing so much touring that almost the touring influences the music because they tend to veer towards more clean vocals because yeah. it's easier to hold up over a long amount of time. So they became a lot more melodious anyway, uh, but they introduced a lot more clean vocals. But then they kind of, because they were kind of notorious for actually not playing a lot of their old stuff whilst they're on tour. So if it was a tour for a new record, then they wouldn't tend to kind of go back to like a song like Crossbreaker, which is one of their songs that, you know, how at every show there's going to be someone in the crowd screaming for them to play it. Yeah. Um, and they they were kind of yeah they they were known for not doing that and I think it was actually Caleb who had a big influence on them playing their older songs going okay let's let's go back and look at these obviously there's something yeah. it, it's very different from what we sound like now uh, but I think he did shoot himself slightly in the foot because they actually made him kind of take up all the screaming vocal duties from there on on those tracks live which, which is, is fine. fine yeah fine fine for Bro- us Bro- not necessarily for him because Brodsky in Until Your Heart Stops the the vocalist when he quit they mm. had no other option but for Brodsky to do it yeah or Brodsky. Did you say Brodsky or Brodsky? I say Brodsky. Yeah. Um, so that sort of whittled cave-in down to a, a four-piece Yeah. then. And considering their sound and the, the gravitas of Until Your Heart Stops as a debut, it was released in 1999 um, and is still widely regarded as one of the most important metal, hardcore, punk prog sort of amalgam Mm. records it's a hybrid record so much um and songs that basically ran upwards of 13 minutes um it's a seminal seminal piece of work uh what was my point Uh, no idea other than celebrating this individual incredible it is an incredible record um and brodsky oh that was it just whittling down to a four piece so 
the, the sound and the importance of that record is pretty it's a huge feat uh, and I think part of that might be the aid of people like Kurt Ballou, uh from Converge uh, mm. and whilst recording at God City which is the studio run by uh, Kurt Ballou, um I think Kurt Ballou definitely helped solidify the structure uh, of that record as well. But it was, um, so we, Until Your Heart Stops was their first album. Uh, in between that, they had uh, their Jupiter following shortly in 2000, uh, which was when they start to get a slightly more experimental with their sound. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say, I'd probably say they're most known for their next record, though, which is uh, Antenna. Which is widely regarded as their worst record. Yeah, well, it's certainly their most poppy record. It, certainly, it definitely yeah. went off on a tangent, and that was when they kind of went, they went full. Um, uh, they they kind of went full. They referred to it as like to, college yeah. rock. Because it wasn't on Hydra, was it? it was on, no, it was, was on, it on RCA, RCA yeah. which is a subsidiary of Sony. Uh, however, they were swiftly dropped by that record label and ended up actually re-releasing this. Yeah. On, on I th- Hydra Head. I think Caleb said, um, we took a strange little path for a while and lost ourselves personally mm. and musically, which is quite a deep thing to say, considering it's your third release. They must have had so much backing behind them after Jupiter and Until Your Heart Stops mm. that they just, it's the its the usual trappings of a semi-successful band, a young band at the time, is that they just sort of crumble under the weight of majors and the pressure of fans to deliver. And going on tour with bands like Foo Fighters and Muse, so it was way beyond the hardcore scene. Um, and I even saw, I think I think it was a um, documentary or like a small kind of clip from 2003 when they were on tour with Foo Fighters and they played at like Wembley Arena. And it's just a completely different band. And I kind of, I would understand why they would be apprehensive about playing mm. some of their older stuff if they are trying to get there. And it's not in a cynical sense if they're trying to get their foot in the door in terms of a more popular kind of sound. Yeah. Um, but that, but again, there was, so they were kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't, because they had a, they they had the pressure from this major label as well as all these new fans that they were recruiting. Uh, but they were also receiving quite a lot of backlash from, from the metal community, Mm. um, which is a shame. I I can think of, I can think of other bands who have changed their musical style for a lot more nefarious purposes. And, poorly done as well because yeah. i wouldn't say this is even though whilst we mentioned that we might consider it their their worst record it's not a bad record it's not a bad record yeah no. but it's yeah but it's not to the level of of i'd probably say their next one which is the one that i'm most familiar with because this was about 2005 i'd say probably 2003 to 2005 was when i started really yeah. getting interested in music um and to the point where I was going beyond what was on like Crown TV or MTV2 um, and checking out this next record, which is uh, Perfect Pitch Black. Yeah. Which I picked up. I used to do Lucky Dips at HMV in, in Ipswich. 
where I just see, I judge a book by its cover essentially, and I just buy an album. And that, and one of those was Cave In. Another one was um, Azuk Misery Index because someone's like it's black and white and it's high contrast. So it has to be good then. Um, but this is, I'd probably say this is probably my one that I'm most familiar with, but also my favorite release of theirs. Yeah, I think um, it's certainly a turning point for Caleb specifically mm. to bring it back to him because it's around this point that his creative input seems to go a little bit into overdrive. Yeah. I think it might have been from the backlash of Antenna mm. and he started to explore varying avenues of hardcore metal, post-hardcore, uh, sludge and doom. Um so that record in particular, um, would you regard that as the the moment where bands such as Old Man Gloom and uh, Zozebra would have come more into sort of the fore than before? Perhaps, um, because I think, uh, yeah, Old Man Gloom and Zozebra are uh, bands also... Um, including yeah. Caleb. Which is, <laughs> uh, but I think Old Man Gloom, so they were they were about, that. I think they started 1999. Um, so they predate Perfect Pitch Black. Oh, by, Jesus. By, by quite some time. I thought, I thought they started um, slightly later than that. No, I was actually quite, yeah, they're 20 years old. Like as a band, they're 20 years old and Cave-In are only three years three years older than Old Man Gloom, which is pretty crazy. That's crazy. So Old Man Gloom would have started one year after uh, Until Caleb, Caleb joined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of Perfect Pitch Black, it is, for me, I mean, I guess I guess you could go back and say Jupiter was when they really had their, their kind of sound. sound. Yeah, because they do have a sound. It's this weird, spacey major chord kind of metal even though they go a lot more darker at points but that is what i would consider the the caven yeah. sound which kind of uh which kind of sets them apart from their contemporaries yeah for sure i mean it's worth mentioning in between this point though however that 2005 there wasn't another caven release until 2011 uh, which was White Silence, which is a record that I actually haven't really had much of a time to kind of sit and dwell on. So I can't really comment a huge amount on this particular record. I think it was received well mm, yeah. by fans. And I think the band themselves were pretty happy to be back in the studio and working on things. And the thing is about Cave-In is that all of the members, especially Caleb, have all have their fingers in many metal pots really um so but they're always very nostalgic and they're very very close to the cave-in project if you want to even call if you could even call it that because that sounds mm. like you're belittling uh the band um so i think they were just relieved to be writing again and yeah. being back together especially caleb um and then after that it and was, he had some, I saw some choice words that he had for other members of Cave-In's other projects. Oh, he could do talk to smack. Yeah, do you have any of that? Yeah, I do, <laughs> yeah. I was really, I was like, okay, Caleb, Jesus. <laughs> Just because you're in old man gloom. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, what did he, he? What did he say? He said um, he said something to the fact that nothing they've released is going to be anywhere near as good as yeah. Cave In. Where is it? He was just like I, I, something along the lines of, "I've got to be honest, everything that um, Brodsky and uh, the, the other guys in Cave In are doing uh, is total shit." <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was just like, "Oh, fine, great, great." Um, on his um, setup itself, because I think one of the sort of standout elements of Caleb, other than his voice, is the tone of his bass. Guttural. Um, yeah. As guttural as his vocals. Actually. Yeah. So he plays a P bass or grabber through a split signal setup. Um Stage right. I, I think this is one of his later setups, but uh, stage right is a 74 SVT through an Ampeg uh, 8x10 cab. And stage left, it's whatever random solid state head uh, he he can take from the shelf, uh, powering an old sun, uh, which apparently was his new favourite uh, after replacing the speaker with an 800 watt eminence. Uh, for pedals, that means absolutely yeah, nothing means to nothing most to people. Me, yeah. <laughs> um, so for pedals, uh, it changes often, but he usually runs a full-tone two-channel overdrive uh, with a Boss bass overdrive, a Boss DD6 digital delay, and a Boss RC20XL. Um, the delay and sampler are mainly for live uh, segues. Um, but Caleb himself, he actually had uh, no explicit training mm. um he's pretty self-taught but his influences for playing bass uh range from uh jean-jacques bonnell from the strangle stranglers um john wetton from king crimson roxy music mogul thrash um chris squire from yes and apparently uh david uh, wm sims from scratch acid rape man and jesus mm. lizards no. So there is influences. I don't know whether I think Jesus is for sure mm. comes out yeah, yeah. through his sound, but like all the other ones, like they're they're very techy, aren't they? Yeah, and I'd probably say that it's whilst whilst it's worth bearing in mind you can try and kind of try and assign influences directly to Cave In. He was also in other bands, so whilst whilst that influence might not be directly implicit in Cave In, you might be able to see it in something like Zozobra or or Old Man Gloom, which I think we should probably talk about because even though Cave In is the new release, other records that he was involved in had huge impact yeah. in the community, and one of those bands was um, Old Man Gloom. Uh, so Old Man Gloom as mentioned, was formed in 1999 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, but the band kind of found a collective home in Massachusetts. Uh, the band at the time was made up of uh, Santos Montana, um, who played the drums, uh, Aaron Turner on guitar and vocals, who is the the singer of Isis and also the head, if you will, of Hydra Head Records. Uh, Which is the label that released... Huge Every, swaths of yeah, swathes yeah, and swathes yeah. of uh, cave in records and um, converge records, yeah. Zaster, which is an odd one, yeah, considering he, yeah, yeah. Oxbow, yeah, considering all his bands have this kind of low subby sound, and then he comes out with something like Zaster, yeah, quite interesting. Uh, and also, it was 
com- the lineup was completed by Nate Newton of Converge and Doom Riders uh, on guitar, uh, Schofield on bass, uh, and Old Man Gloomer kind of lovingly referred to as the Voltron of Boston of the Boston metal hardcore scene. Uh, um, so does that mean they're like? us the best they're like well no because i don't get that fucking the voltron. reference yeah no neither do i but i yeah we didn't get voltron in the uk so right. it was essentially transformers. transformers no it is a separate property <laughs> if you will right it's um you know like you know like power rangers yeah when they all come together and they make the big one yeah yeah it's like that okay yeah i have been enjoying some of those um power ranger memes yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, flute. Yeah. Um, I'll probably say, like, Old Man Gloom's kind of closest relative in regards to its kin is probably Isis, followed by earlier Cave-In, but only in regards to, like, the kind of thudding Neanderthal quality to it. Um, Old Man Gloomer far more adds this more kind of gritty, doomier drone in addition to these kind of intriguing, spacey electronic passages uh and a lot of bands have received a lot of flack um for this but old man gloom make it kind of an integral part of their album structures Mm. uh so the band also appears to have this peculiar preoccupation with primates with a large amount of their artwork featuring apes and monkeys in some manner um i don't think I actually figured out why that was apart from an interview with Aaron Turner who was regaling the fact that he laid in bed really high once and watched a bunch of monkeys perform in a black and white video with instruments um so he's all about animal cruelty uh <laughs> so the band released seven albums between 1999 and 2014 the first of which was meditations in b which is kind of this really slamming piece of hardcore inflected metal or you could even say it's metal inflected hardcore it's very experimental as well isn't it yeah because it kind of really sits on that tipping point where you could say it could go either way uh, following this band released two albums in 2001 as companion piece called Seminar 2, uh, The Holy Rites of Primitivism, uh, Regressionism, and Seminar 3, Zozobra, uh, which Schofield later took the latter's subtitle as the moniker for another project. Yeah. Um, the record I would say I'm the most fond of is 2004's Christmas, uh, which Aaron Turner described as one of the most engaging projects I've been involved with both musically and visually uh, and it stands as the band's longest piece of work before taking a hiatus between the years of 2004 to 2011. So both bands seem to, Caven's um, Perfect Pitch Black came out 2005, this came out 2004. So there was a lot of downtime for Caleb and the other members of the bands in both bands between 2004 to 2011. Or was that when kind of Zobra? kind of took off. Uh, so Zobra um, was conceived by Schofield in 2006. Mm. Uh, and they released their debut, which was Harmonic Tremors, um, with the aid of uh, Santos Montano uh, in 2007. Um, so it was actually, I think, Zozobra was the first time proper uh, that Caleb was permitted to write his own songs. Mm. And not that he wasn't permitted in the past, but this was his project. Um, 
sort of his creative input with Cave in and Old Man Gloom, I think, was far more collaborative yeah. than it was a Caleb Schofield project with musicians to help him sort of solidify his his ideas. Um, and I think he was on tour in Japan. And when he got back, he just had these songs running around and he had to very, very quickly book some recording time just mm. to get them down. Yeah. Otherwise, they just would have like drifted off into the ether and he, he probably would have forgotten about them and nothing would have happened and Zobra wouldn't have existed. Uh, he said, I wanted to hurry up and put them uh, on some sort of recorded media before I didn't care about them anymore. Um, I'd been kind of throwing around the idea of starting a band for quite a while. Uh, it's a goal I set for myself uh, just to see if I was capable, which is interesting because uh, I think, I'm not sure how old his uh, kids are. Caleb has uh, been survived by his wife and two kids. Mm. Um, but I think it's around this time that he starts to pare back quite a lot from his musical career because uh, he was also a carpenter and I think he was trying to focus more so on that and the family life. So Zazobra is very much a part-time project. It would have given him yeah, enough that, time to, to yeah, exactly. work on other endeavours. And what I find interesting is that Zazobra is a very good conduit between Cave-In and Old Man Gloom. It's sort of like a compromise between the two. Mm. But apparently Caleb try to make an effort not to sound anything like either band. So I don't really get that because every time I listen to it, I think that sounds so much like Cave-In and Old Man Gloom, like Skiller. Like, yeah, every kind of musician wants to go, I'm going to go do this other thing that's going to sound completely different and it's going to be far afield. But it's yeah. very difficult to actually deliver on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and he also envisions the Zobra, I think, far more so than Cave-In and Old Man Gloom, which were, which had fixed a permanent lineup. Mm. He sort of wanted this to be a revolving cast of musicians, which inevitably yeah. does happen. Um, and stylistically, his the, collaborat the collaborators that he works with, they always used to comment on his guitar playing so Schofield was able to play guitar as well mm. he was a very adept guitar player but he ended up writing sort of bass player riffs on guitar yeah for them to relay to the to the other collaborators uh which I think contributes oh like more 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 so than less to the general vibe of a Zazobra record it is very bassy um and his influences, I mean, some of them are really blatant, like the Melvins and like Neurosis and Godflesh. But apparently, sort of, Caleb took Zazobra as this opportunity to explore things that very much weren't within that whole metal realm or that spectrum. So, like, bands like uh, people like Neil Young, Nick Cave, PJ Harvey, Portishead, Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> Uh, mad villain. So there's a lot of like hip hop elements, but it just wouldn't really come out as when you're listening to a Zobra record. Uh, Mark Lanigan as well. That was another one. Uh, that being said, Caleb did say, I do feel like if it wasn't for my experience playing with Cave-In, that I would never have been able to accomplish Zazobra. Uh, those guys helped me develop a skill set that enabled me to be able to go out and do my own thing and feel confident about it uh 
which I think is a huge testament to the importance of caving yeah. in Caleb's life. Yeah, and I think going back just just briefly, because obviously that kind of filled filled the void between that 2005 to 2011 break. Um, Old Man Gloom did return eventually uh, in 2011 with a record called No, and this was followed again by another two albums released in 2014, both of which were entitled The Ape of God. Um, The album was accompanied by the release of an unofficial documentary directed by Kenneth Thomas about the band's history leading up to The Ape of God titled Here Is The Gift For You, which can be found in its entirety on YouTube. Uh, Up until the release of The Ape of God, um, the albums were only thought to be one single album and were promoted as such by Profound Law, who put out the albums. Uh, However, the weekend before the release date, Old Man Gloom let on that they were actually releasing two different studio albums, both with the same name, The Ape of God, and that the version of the album that had been sent to the press to review, which had been subsequently leaked, was actually a fake album. Uh, that featured songs from both albums in a different uh, sequence and edited to shorter versions. Uh, What is considered as the first two of the uh, the first one of the two albums is kind of an eight song record that's similar vein as what you've come to expect from Old Man Gloom, whereas the second saw them kind of focus more on their ambient compositions. It's a bit like... um... Neurosis and uh, tribes in Europe, yeah. yeah. And before Schofield's untimely death, um, Old Man Gloom had plans to record a new album in 2018. Uh, Montano and Turner had secret plans to record a second album in addition to that uh, as a duo, uh, kind of, si- uh, and was considered a sequel to Meditations in B. Uh, and release it on the same day without the knowledge of Newton and Schofield. Uh, Montano explains, "Yes, we were going to troll ourselves this time. I mean, half of us. Uh, I mean, half of ourselves. We figured it was the only place to go to fully shit on our own bandmates and, in general, the public with more gloom." That's kind of it's clever, yeah. But it's also it's very snaky. <laughs> yeah, slightly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I, but they seem like a very playful band. Yeah. In terms of giving... Everything I've seen of um, uh, Santos, or like when he's being interviewed, he he comes across as a guy that just likes to joke mm. about everything, which is great. Like even, even post-humusly... Uh, humusly. Humusly. Yeah, <laughs> post-humusly. Post-guacamole. Uh, yeah. Um, he's very light-hearted in the absence of Caleb and when he speaks about Caleb, he seems to be um, remembering everything that he loves about him rather than lamenting over the the loss of Mm. Caleb. So yeah, I get, I get what they're trying to do. Pushing forward as well. Like none of the bands have kind of stalled. I mean, it's still in, in question as to whether Caven will continue. However, since Schofield's, since Schofield's death, Old Man Gloom have began work, begun work on a new studio album, uh, and Stephen Brodsky is now a full member of the band playing bass yeah. and providing some some vocals. And there was a quote from Montano on the Old Man Gloom Facebook page that reads, uh, in a quiet moment in a very loud room filled with more people than I could count, Aaron and I were sitting across from one of each other up from one another, totally drained, zombified, just looking at each other. He leaned towards me and I leaned towards him. He quietly said, Santos, 
do you still want to do old man gloom? My stomach dropped and I responded, we have to now, we don't have a choice. We spoke to Nate and he agreed. I don't know what it means or how it will manifest itself, but we will continue to do our best to honour Caleb and that means we must exist. I share this very private moment because I truly feel after this week, you're all part of our story so much more than I ever realised. And they did so much for Caleb. Uh, He died uh, March 28th, 2018. He, I won't go into great detail. Mm. Um, His pickup truck basically crashed into a concrete barrier. Um, And he was 39 years old. Uh, but every band that he has <laughs> infiltrated yeah. in the past, either emotionally or physically, um, they all banded together once again, like the Voltron of the metal and the hardcore world. Mm. Um, and they set up a crowdfunding page for his memorial service Um Bands like Conversion, Every Time I Die, and The Red Chord, and uh, Isis. Um, and it made an incredible amount, that You Caring page as well. Yeah. So I think it was, was 72 that... grand in 24 hours. Yeah. And, and I, I had a check last night, and it's now at 250. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think you can get higher than that. I think that's where it's... it's I think it's closed high. now. Yeah. Um, but they, they also organised um, a memorial event uh, in tribute to uh, Caleb, and every band member basically shared each other's band members. Mm. Uh, Isis reformed as Celestial, Celestial. yeah, uh, which is poor from- Nate was like I think Nate from Converge was in like five of the bands or something. That yeah, night. he was in every one, so yeah. he must have been absolutely exhausted by the end <laughs> of that. Um, but I think Celestial as well uh, is a little bit more of a PC uh, name. In these have. times. Yeah. Um. So, and apparently um, uh, they were saying, I can't believe there isn't anyone already called Celestial. Yeah. I, I you, can't think of anyone called Celestial. No. You would have thought that, because in the old tradition of people naming themselves after other people's songs and bands, yeah, with a band such as Isis, you would have thought that one of these post-metal bands would have called themselves Celestial, but yeah. there you go. Uh, so a lot of tributes came in. Uh, Brian Fair of Shadows Fall uh, said, uh, as a band, they were always light years ahead. This is Cave-In. Uh, and always inspired me to imagine heavy music from different angles. Mm. His voice was monstrous. His bass tone and style were incredible unique um there were many many accolades like that um and they're equally as sad but also celebratory of of caleb uh i think one of the main positives if any have come out of this is that hydra head in general as a label was really sort of not closing they were going to stay up to date with their 2010 i think that yeah. they were planning on wrapping up yeah kind and of just business paying a, off debts yeah um and then they released uh the oxbow record in was it like 2016 or 17 yeah so i think them releasing them more on kind of like an ad hoc basis where it's just like once once they feel that a record yeah. is worthy of being released worthy i don't know whether that's the correct but yeah. like they feel strongly enough about releasing this record that they'll they'll For sure. band back together and, and do do so. And I think one in particular is gonna be 
the new cave-in record. That is certainly one that requires a Hydra head release. Yeah. Uh, so final transmission uh, is essentially Caleb's final piece contribution of work. to. Yeah. Before they they might progress, they might not. We we're unsure at the moment, but final transmission itself is set to be released. Is it next week? It's the seventh of June. Um, Just over a week's time. Then. Yeah, it's be yeah. released on the seventh of June, uh, and with half of the proceeds of this record going to to Schofield's family. Yeah. Um, so it's their first album in in eight years. I mean, they before this was their their hiatus between. Perfect Pitch Black and, and White Silence now White Silence was 2011 uh, so I had a chance to listen to the record um, and one of the things that's worth noting is quite a lot of it is actually live recordings were they originally to be demos yeah so they, they never intended them to actually be heard they were just live live demos in a practice room and by yeah. the sounds of it they went in and recorded the vocals afterwards over the top because you can hear the clear and it, the clear layer of vocals. And there is a, a definite sound of, of each recording having a different kind of production quality to it because I assume that they were just coming back in as and when when they had new tracks to, to mm. demo. Um, and it is, it is quintessentially a cave-in record it has all those kind of tropes that you would expect but then some that's not to say that they were kind of resting on their laurels um they for for me quite a lot of it is incredibly indicative of that kind of major chord cave-in sound with some extra parts there's also for me there's uh, one track which i think is um lunar day which almost has this kind of weird chicken picking mastodon kind of sound that you would mm. hear off something like um blood mountain or um crack the sky uh but then there's also other touches where there's on shape my blood there's these weird jangly shimmer reverb which you kind of get from like the edge in u2 um <laughs> but it's it's not it's not overbearingly heavy and it's not overtly poppy such as antenna um the album doesn't feel entirely cohesive and that's not that's not in any way a criticism because it is the nature of what the record is yeah. i don't think it was ever intended to be a, a a sheer narrative it was just a collection of songs this is what this is what they've they came up with and this is what they're always going to be like that they, they can't really progress these songs any further than than where they got to before before Schofield passed away <laughs> And his contribution, he's all over the record. He actually contributes to eight of the songs. He basically helped write all of them. And I think the band themselves actually said prior to Caleb's involvement when they were talking about release or working on these songs mm. that they weren't fully formed until Caleb's contribution yeah. uh, came into it. So he was really digging all the spacey, proggy elements yeah. of the record itself. Um and cave in the band weren't complete until Caleb actually came in and like yeah. added his own little flourishes to it. Yeah, and um, Cave-In's, Cave-In's future is kind of still in, in question. Um, like with 
Brodsky mentioning that it was nice to get out there and play a few shows, but we're still going through the process of moving forward. And I think we need to live through this first and then we'll have the idea of what the future holds. But if this is the case and if this is the swan song for Cave-In, it's incredibly... Incredibly it, emotional. Yeah, it's um, heartfelt, isn't it? It's, yeah, especially it's, considering the opening track of the record, which is called Final Transmission. I didn't know what it was before I listened to it because I was like, this is a bit odd. Um, and then when I actually found out what it was, it had a very impactful... Um, it was very impactful on me because I know, and you know, because we do this a lot... Essentially, the record is a, a voice memo recorded on, I assume, would be an iPhone yeah. or some, some device, uh, of Schofield playing an acoustic guitar, kind of humming a melody of what he could imagine the song would be. And that has a huge impact on me because I know that mine, my phone and your phone are littered yeah. with albums worth yeah. of material. It's scary, isn't it? It's very haunting. Yeah, it is, um, and yeah, and I think, I think it got kind of almost because when we were talking about like demystifying a band with Batushka last week, we kind of see these people. I know I had this when I came to university because I studied writing, and I was like, man, if I ever meet a writer, it's going to be the most amazing thing on the planet. And then you just find out that they're just people. Yeah. Like, and you kind of get brought back down to earth with a bit of a thud. And this is kind of what it was for me with this song is hearing it as just a little Humanizing noodle. Humanizing everything. Yeah, yeah, a little noodle on a guitar. Yeah, yeah so uh, that was our, how do we want to describe it? Our celebration of, yeah. It's of, definitely not an O bit, is it? No. So that was our celebration of Caleb It's not, not well-researched enough to come <laughs> Thank you for listening. We will be back. But before we go, we just want to remind everyone, please, to subscribe to our <laughs> to like, SoundCloud. Subscribe. X and Ferris podcast. Oh, X and Ferris, a heavy metal, metal. podcast now. Uh, you can like and subscribe us on iTunes. Please leave a comment if you so wish. It helps us sort of tally up our... Um, what, what do you even call it? Like, it, it just, just makes me feel better. Yeah, no, it just, just helps it gives me us sleep a little at bit night. More, it gets, gets, gets us a little bit more publicity, yeah. which is obviously the only reason why we need you. And um, an ego boost. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you can find us at X and Ferris, a heavy metal podcast on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook, X and Ferris, a heavy metal podcast. You can find us on Instagram, which is uh, X and Ferris podcast. Or is it X and Ferris? Oh, I can't even remember. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, please get involved. Uh, we have an email if you want to contact us. Send us your demos. They might not even be demos. Send us your full uh, LPs or send EPs. us your hot takes. Yeah, please. We will argue uh, with you, um, not at you. Um, <laughs> and our email contact is xinferris podcast. Uh, podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, okay. And that is that.